welcome to Checking the Gate, a film and religion podcast. I am Michael M. Patty. And I am Robert Wright Stasco. And this is episode 42, the first part of our epic Star Wars trilogy. And in today's episode, we're going to be looking at the mythology of Star Wars, how religion is in the movie, and how mythology and religion impacted George Lucas and how he made those first six movies. And maybe ask some questions about the upcoming movies. So, uh, without further ado, we're just going to jump into it. I don't think we need to give a rundown of the plot of like all six movies. Because, one, I think um, if you haven't seen Star Wars, what? <laughs> and and two, uh, yeah, everyone everyone's seen Star Wars, so I don't think we need to go. When we start talking about specific scenes or instances, I think people will be able to figure out where they are in the trilogy and, and stuff so and as as i'm fond of saying uh i i feel like i say this every episode if you haven't seen the movies what are you doing listening to this so all right off we go well what we did watch today was from an old series uh, that was on pbs called the power of myth it was um an interview uh done by bill moyers with uh joseph campbell and he's or he was the world's uh, leading authority. He passed away in 1987, and this was originally broadcast in 88. And it talks about the, the hero's journey. We watched the first episode, and it, especially in the original trilogy, which had the only ones that were around back then, uh, Luke Skywalker was a hero, and he was emblematic of the hero's journey. And this show talked a lot about the different uh, stages that the hero goes through. Um, so, like, the first... One of the first things that happens is uh, Luke goes to the cantina, and it's like the gateway into the larger universe he goes into. How, how, what did you think about that? I was just going to jump in and say that the the special that we watched wasn't specifically about Star Wars. It, it was an interview with Joseph Campbell. It, it felt a lot like a lecture, yeah. but it, it mentioned Star Wars kind of at the beginning. The prequels were still a long ways off. But to go back to your uh, to your question... That does seem like the typical jumping-off point. Like the, I can't think of a better example because Star Wars has just become the the go-to. It's taken over the culture, and and we'll get back to that as we discuss r- religion more later. But it's it's Luke first going into taking his first steps into a larger world, and that's the same scene. Uh, like Joseph Campbell talks about in the special, is in numerous other examples throughout history, all of which are escaping me now because I was kind of dozing off during it. It was like a college lecture, and I'm I'm sure that these have been used in, in college courses. And Joseph Campbell was a, a a professor, and he wrote like a ton of books. And the one that really put him on the map was The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And he was looking at all the myths and religions and he, especially in this special, he talks about the similarities between Buddha, uh, Muhammad, Jesus Christ, and the similar things that they go through. And he talks a lot like the the temptation, like Jesus had the the three temptations in the in the wilderness with the devil. Buddha had the three temptations under the tree. Jesus' temptations were spiritual, political, and like with power and stuff. And Buddha's was his was a lust fear, and social obligation. Uh, Luke's was kind of like all that wrapped in one when uh, Darth Vader 
tries to tempt him over to the dark side. And I, I guess the Emperor, too, you could say, in, in Return of the Jedi. And now, my young apprentice, you and your rebel friends will witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational battle station. That was pretty awesome. I think I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> it gave me chills. But one one thing I was thinking about was, you know, because we have something that they didn't have in the special was the, the prequel trilogy. and Lucky us. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think uh, some of the criticism that people have aimed at the prequel trilogy is because it doesn't seem to have as much of the uh, mythological aspects as the original trilogy. Well, I I think the ideas are there, but they're so poorly executed. The the direction is bad, the dialogue is bad, most of the acting is bad. And a lot of the a lot of the big ideas are lost because of that. In in Phantom Menace, all anybody remembers is buffoonish cartoon antics and the whole idea of the beginning of the hero's quest again, the, the structure is supposed to mirror that of the classic trilogy. All anybody remembers is Jar Jar getting farted on by a space llama, right? Icky, icky poo. <laughs> exactly. And he's got no one but himself to blame for that as the writer and director. I... <laughs> I, I could see where George Lucas was coming from on that. I, he had kids in mind making the, the prequel trilogy because when we were children, we watched that Star Wars trilogy over and over and over again. They had such a big impact on us. I mean, I ate up everything Star Wars, including like the Saturday morning cartoons, which we'll talk about just for a little bit later. We won't go too much into depth into those. But the prequel trilogy, he was really thinking about the 10 nine, eight-year-old boy watching these movies and really gearing it towards that. I think that's why he made Anakin Skywalker so young. And when he had the seven, eight, nine, which he, he started that ball rolling before he sold Lucasfilm to Disney, I read, I, I believe it was, was it in Wired Magazine or Entertainment Weekly? He said that the originally imagined having like the main hero of the third trilogy be another kid and the first thing that jj abrams did was uh, uh no <laughs> yeah. everything that he had written and uh, i don't know if he turned anything in but i know nothing that he had in mind is going to be used right i mean they're totally going with a different direction you know getting back to like the temptation thing i was watching episode two the other day and my condolences well there's a, an interesting scene in there where Skywalker and Palpatine are walking down the hallway, and Palpatine's just casually telling Anakin all the things that he was, as you sinisterly uh, imitated for us, you know, the he was, you know, kind of barking and growling at Luke in Episode 6, but in Episode 2, he's just very casually, you know, as soon as you learn to give in to your feelings, uh, you know, I see you becoming the most powerful Jedi, even more powerful than Yoda, and he's just slyly whispering these things into his ear just telling him these things that you know just slowly over time with luke he was trying to hammer him with these things but with with anakin he was he had i think he had more time to really work on him and and, and draw him in that way so when it came to episode three uh 
and it came to the point where he had to make a decision. Who who am I going to side with, the Jedi or my friend? He made his choice. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give over to the dark side. He's like, I am desperate to save the love of my life, and this is the only man who could do it. But all those other things that he had been whispering to him, I can be more powerful. One of those things that Joseph Campbell talked about was the ego and how in mythological terms we need to slay the dragon, which is our ego, which is the dragons, uh, like if you look at Smaug in The Hobbit, he was hoarding all the gold and dragons represent greed in our lives. And Anakin, in a sense, did not slay his dragon. His greed for uh, wanting those people in his life to never go away his wife, his mother, that was the things he was holding on to. So in a sense, uh, he didn't slay his dragon, did he? No, and uh, in the interview with George Lucas we watched from 1999, uh, when I think episode one, it it had either just come out or it was about to come out, uh, Bill Moyers had already seen it. He he says uh, toward the end of it, you can either be the hero or not be the hero and be part of the problem. And... The prequels were set up to be the moral opposite of the classics. So Anakin is the problem and doesn't become the hero, uh, even though he thinks he is. But all he's thinking about is himself and Padme and my mom and my power. Whereas Luke is thinking of his friends and the rebellion one of the things that Joseph Campbell talks about, which I think is a misinterpretation, especially in light of the prequels, is he talks about Darth Vader becoming more... In, he's the intellectual side. He gives over to the system intellectually. And that is the thing that cuts off his humanity. He doesn't think with his heart, but with his mind. And I think that is not the case. That, uh, that characterization... I don't know what Lucas had in mind in the years between Jedi and Phantom Menace, but the the characterization we have now of Anakin Skywalker is that he is not intellectual, but only acts on his feelings. Right, and that that's the thing about the dark side. That's the thing that the Emperor says over and over: "Give in to your feelings." You know, he says he says that calmly to Anakin. He, he he growls it at Luke. Give in to your anger. You know, it, that is the thing that that causes you to lose your humanity is um, not being able to work within the system. Because Anakin was in a system. Uh, he was in the the Jedi Order, which provided the system for his life, a way of doing things. And he couldn't live within that. He broke those rules. Number one being he got married. You know, he talks about in episode two how Jedi's are, you know, they're not supposed to uh, have attachments. But he kind of twists that around when he's talking with Padme. He's like, well, we're encouraged to love, but instead of loving in a general way, he turns his love specifically towards Padme, and that's what causes him problems. And in the original. Bill Moyer's interview, he talks about how the hero's journey helps you keep your humanity by living in the system. What What did you think about that? I, I'm sorry. Could Could you Could you elaborate on the question a little bit, please? Yeah. Uh, let me ask that a better way. How, how do you think, uh, like the mythology of Star Wars, helps you deal with the problems in your daily life? Because that That was one of the things that Lucas and Campbell talked about was 
taking taking this big story or taking like the old stories and retelling them in a new way in order to help you be a better person. I certainly think that's possible. I I was born the year the first Star Wars movie came out. Uh, So, fun fact, my mom actually went to see the movie with my dad while she was pregnant with me. Especially with the hype around the new movie coming out, uh, I'm surrounded by it. It it flows through me, and uh, um, it, it's a big part of my life, so I certainly think that uh, that it's possible that it has influenced me. I don't know if it's made me a quote-unquote better person. Never having known life without it, I can't imagine anything different. And whether it's just because it's something that I like and am very familiar with and is one of my hobbies or whether because it has influenced so much of the culture that I live in that it's influenced other people who have influenced me, like Robert here, I can't say. It's That's nature versus nurture. And I, I believe that's beyond the scope of this episode. <laughs> uh, well, let me put it another way. Like, in, in my life, I've followed Jesus Christ, and I look at the stories of Jesus, and I find examples to live by and... For example, his I mentioned before his temptation in the wilderness. And I look at that, and when temptations come in my life, it helps me to look at the way Jesus handled those and live my life according to the way he did and escape that temptation. So is there anything that, like, say, any lessons you could take from Star Wars, any scenes or stories that, that help you in your life when you say, well, what would Luke Skywalker do? All right, I I, I I don't want you to fire me from the podcast. I'm I'm gonna say no. I'm I'm gonna say no. It's it's my hobby. It's something fun that I like because there there are people in the world who you know their job is is politics and making big important decisions, and I'm not one of those people. I try to keep it light because real life is hard. I have a kid. I have a marriage. I got a lot of bills. Star Wars is an escape for me. I don't. I don't rely on it to make the big real life decisions. Does that answer your question? It's a pastime, and it's fun to quote lines from it. It's fun to buy action figures and go dark helmet with them, and 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 get the Lego sets and you know watch the trailers and try to figure out if. You know, the the lady in the trailers is actually Han and Leia's daughter. That's all that's fun. That's that's not real life though. And I and I know that. Especially after watching the George Lucas interview that he was just trying to construct a pastiche of Joseph Campbell and samurai films and Western religions and Eastern religions. It's it's a mishmash. It's not meant to be something that you, you look to like the Bible. Right, and in the interview that Bill Morris does with Lucas, he asked him point blank, people say that Star Wars is profoundly religious. Do you think it's profoundly religious? And he says no. Several times, he's like, I'm not trying to make a new religion. I'm not trying to make a new mythology. I'm trying to take the old myths and retell them in a new way. To which I replied, isn't that what religion is? Yeah, and uh, my wife said the same thing when we watched it, and it but the same thing, uh, you know, I put my uh, hope and trust in Jesus Christ. 
and you don't put your faith and hope and trust in Star Wars. <laughs> you, for, like you just said, it's your it's your pastime. It's not something that you look forward to. It, you know, it, it's an escape, but it doesn't help you deal with your real life. For me, I look to Jesus Christ to help me deal with my real life. There are people, I I think in England, there there is there have been movements to get Jedi listed as an official religion on the census. I, I think it was the United Kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that more in next month's episode, is the real-life effect that Star Wars has had upon religion. Because that, that's one of the things that I've come to believe in doing this podcast and reading all the other film and religion uh, literature is they seem to fail to see the, the two-way street of how film and religion interact. A lot of the literature that I've seen has looked at just how uh, religion has affected the films. And what I'm seeing more is how some of the films which have, like Star Wars, takes a lot of the mythology and religion and puts it back out in the world, and the world reacts to that and says, you know, there's something here, there's something I really want to live my life by. And uh, we're going to talk about that a lot more next time, how Star Wars has really become a religion. There's an interesting thing that he talked about near the end of the interview. He talked about, he wants to communicate how we're all interconnected and we're all part of a bigger organism and we we depend on each other. And that that seems to echo a scene where Anakin asks Qui-Gon Jinn about the midichlorians and he explains that that's where the force comes from what did you think and how did you feel about that scene when you first when you first saw it what was your immediate reaction i i wasn't sure why it was necessary because the point of the force is it's the thing that only the jedi can use and i got the impression from i had heard about it ahead of time i didn't even get go see it the first day it was out i i like went on like that the following friday so I had I had heard about it. I, I knew it was coming. I felt watching the movie like the whole point of midichlorians was so they could test Anakin's midichlorians. Which was completely unnecessary because they had two Jedi on the planet. Why couldn't they just say they felt the Force really strong with them? I, I got the sense that it was, again, reflecting the, the modern stories. Because Lucas said in the interview he wanted to take the old stories and retell them in a way that reflects some of the issues of our day. Listening to Joseph Campbell, and his, he has a lot of very, really strong postmodern ideas. Uh, one of the things that Lucas says is all the religions are right, they just all see a different part of the elephant. And you had talked to me about that yesterday. That's one of the things that you, you felt really strongly from, from watching Star Wars, that that was definitely true. So I, I think... The issues of, like, say, 10 to 15 years ago when he was making the prequel trilogies, which was different from the ones uh, 30 to 40 years ago when he was making the original trilogy, was, you know, they, they was big on the mystery. Like, you know, it's the postmodern idea. Like, there are things that we don't know about. There are things we can't explain. And But then looking at the, the prequel trilogies where they explain the Force and how it works, and I think that's, he was showing that, that sort of hubris of the Jedi. Like, you know, we have this all figured out. And I, I think the church today thinks it has it all figured out. And really, we don't. And in the Lucas's uh, interview with Bill Moore, he says, 
caveman thought they had figured out. That's why they made all these mythological constructs. But their knowledge is at about a one. We're at about a five now. But really, the the scale goes to like a million. <laughs> and so when I first saw that, it made me feel like angry, like oh, you're taking the mystery out of the force. And I think that's what he intended. He wanted us to feel upset about that. It's like, yeah, the force is supposed to be mysterious. Because apparently the Jedi did not have it all figured out. Because at the end of episode three, they were almost totally decimated. And on, there's only Yoda and Obi-Wan left. And Ahsoka Tano. And, yes. Well, she was kicked out of the Jedi Order. So she was. We, we can get into that later. We'll, we'll talk about Clone Wars and Rebels later and stuff. But that has been. Uh, the, the new season of Rebels, I will say, has been pretty good so far. So before we jump too far down that rabbit hole, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, uh, I, so I think I think there were some points and, and more political points that Lucas was making. Uh, one thing that I missed that Bill Moyer points out was when they go to Tatooine and they find this little boy, and he says he has this aura around him. It's sort of like the way the Buddhists try to find the new Dalai Lama. They try and find the uh, the reincarnation of the last Dalai Lama. So do you think there's, there's any more maybe mythological strains that we missed out uh, in the prequel trilogy? Or was it that Lucas was wanting to tell a political story and he forgot that mythological strain? No, I'm not the one with a master's degree in religion. So I'm maybe not the best person to answer this question. That said... I'm certain there is symbolism in there that maybe went over my head, but this goes back to there is so much more on the surface that is poorly done that the symbolism is lost or not relevant. Yeah, so you think the the purely political story, endless scenes of the Senate debates, <laughs> uh, they, that, that sort of overshadowed any kind of... Uh, mythological thing that could have been there and that that totally destroyed it i would much rather watch scenes of maybe not political debate but those weren't even the the worst scenes for me just the scene in the library in episode two where it's obvious that the lady botched her line and they didn't fix it where Obi-Wan's like, uh, I found this uh, this saber dart, and my informant says it's from Kamino. Ah, Kamino. Yes, Kamino. Kamino. They say it like three times in a row. <laughs> That's the, the things that after I took film classes, I could see that what could be done technically better. I don't know. I feel like I keep saying the same thing over and over again. It, it's hard for me to be any, any clearer. The the bad kind of outweighs the good. I know the good is there. I know there's a decent story in in Phantom Menace that has the potential to set up the, the next two movies, which is then completely squandered in episode two by not another lecture on the something of politics, master. Ugh. Yeah, the technical aspects that Lucas focuses on are the special effects. I remember they made a big deal about this is the first time we're using a digital camera shooting all digitally. 
so they could do all like digital backgrounds and stuff. There's a lot of practical effects, but because they made a big deal about being able to go digital, that is a prejudice that people have in their minds now. It's like, oh, it's all CG, it's crap. And you notice like in the ads and the promos for The Force Awakens, they totally reverse that. There's that one that was at, I believe it was New York Comic Con, or was it San Diego? It was Star Wars Celebration. Or Yeah, they have Mark Hamill comes on and says, real sets, practical effects, and they show like actual film going through the camera. And they're, I think they're pandering to that fan base who are like, oh, the CG is crap. And that's that's misplaced, because it's a tool just like any other. Say what you will about it, whether or not it was misused. Personally, that never bothered me, because the the three, the prequels all kind of look of a piece. Yeah. Yes, I can tell that it, the scene at the end of episode two, where all the clone troopers are lined up, yes, I can tell that's not a real photograph. That doesn't bother me, because it's a, it's a movie... Sometimes I can see the seams. Having been an English major, I'm more interested in the story and getting wrapped up in in the adventure. That's what I feel was kind of lost. Not because it's oh these are these are new; they're not as good as the old ones. That that's not my point. The old ones didn't have quite as much slapstick. They didn't have potty humor. I don't want to say they didn't have whining, because that's not true. <laughs> or I'm, I'm tired of complaining about it. There there has been hours of airtime and podcasts, and let's, let's get back on track, shall we? Yeah, let's look at episode three, because I think there's a lot more uh, meat there. Especially the, the battle at the end between Obi-Wan and Anakin. The two friends who, who need to duke it out uh we saw something similar to this in exodus gods of men where they they brought this uh, relationship between moses and Frodo to the forefront two powerful leaders uh who grew up as friends and then have this conflict it's not necessarily in the bible <laughs> it's totally a construct of the movies wait what <laughs> let me put it this way it's not explicitly detailed in the bible but it's something that you could really imagine is there. More than one filmmaker has elaborated on the relationship between those two guys. And I think that's there at the end of episode three. I, I think if you look at Joseph Campbell and the the way he takes myths apart, he uses a lot of Jungian analysis. It's very psychological. And at the end of episode three, you could look at the planet Mustafar. They're fighting in the lava fields and that's rock melted down to its basic elemental core and Anakin and Obi-Wan are at their emotional core they're 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 in the, the fiery furnace of their hearts uh, duking it out with the lightsabers and that I think is a powerful image and I, I don't think too many people could argue that that isn't a powerful scene and it's probably one of their favorite parts of the prequel trilogy. Uh, no, what what you put an interesting spin on that. I, I hadn't thought of it in quite that uh, uh, symbolic. I, I read somewhere. I, this is not mine. I, I do not own this. I, I read this around the time it came out 10 years ago that 
Anakin needed a father figure and Obi-Wan needed a brother figure. And the fact that they couldn't be those things for each other is what ultimately led to their rift. Uh, Obi-Wan even says, you are like my brother, Anakin. And you know, in the meantime, uh, Anakin's gravitating toward Palpatine, who's his father, because he didn't literally didn't have a father. And that's why their, uh, I don't say their relationship fell apart, but that's that's what ultimately led Anakin to pick Palpatine over Obi-Wan and the Jedi. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that either, but, and that is, that that's a very insightful look. So I, I think what Lucas and Campbell are both saying is they want these tales to help inform our lives. So if we ever come to blows with lightsabers, yeah, I think maybe we should, you know, sit down and talk about it first. How about you? Like maybe right now, yeah. you know? I don't know. I, I hope it never comes to that. Yeah, let's start talking first. If, if I ever meet a mentor and he reveals himself to be a Sith Lord, I will I will try to make sure I don't go to the dark side too quickly. Okay. Yes, uh, I, I won't use aggressive negotiations. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so I think that another thing I wanted to look at was how the characters, they view religion in the movies. Like, especially in episode four, they talk about the way of the Jedi being a religion and no one follows that religion anymore. Do you think that's reflective of, you know, the time that it was made, you know, late 70s, how, how people viewed religion and that that's how it was in the portrayed in Star Wars? I think I think you hit upon a, a good point because this, the 70s, the the concept of religion in the 70s, like, you know, hey man, I'm going to go start a religion. I'm going to be able to marry people and, you know, it's just going to be about uh, getting high and doing nothing. That's my religion. So I, I think when the word religion is used twice in the first Star Wars movie, by one of the Imperials, I I don't know all of their names, in the, one of the Imperials in the conference room when they announced that the Senate has been dissolved. The one that Vader chokes. Vader, release him. Admiral, uh, Admiral Tag? I don't know. And then Han Solo says, you know, hokey religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. You know, that kind of attitude toward the Jedi. Han, who would have been ten at the time of Revenge of the Sith, you know, just thinks that the Jedi, especially now that there aren't there anymore, thinks it was like a, a, a fad, I guess. Like it, like it was one of those 70s religions. The, the, the Church of Sun Freedom, or, or something. <laughs> you know, like I said, I was just born the year that movie came out. I, I wasn't even born until after the movie had become a hit. So I can't say what the religious landscape was like back then. That's that's the impression that I get, though, that it was one of our main characters was being dismissive of it. I think maybe the point of that is that he shouldn't, he shouldn't be so flip about it, and the Admiral shouldn't be so flip about it. Because it is real. And that's obviously what George Lucas was saying. You know, the force or religion slash, slash spirituality is real. And there is something there. But there's also what Han thinks too. There's also worldliness. 
and the only way to win is to combine them. Maybe that's the the point, what he's trying to say. So looking forward to the new movies that are coming out, we we got a little hint of that in the trail in one of the more recent trailers that come out. Han is talking with Finn and Ray, uh, two of the new characters, and he says, "the the Jedi, it's all real, it's true, all of it." <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had practiced that. We we see in just just that few seconds out we've been able to get of the movie so far that Han Solo has had a change. And I read a little more about this in, uh, I believe it was Entertainment Week, they had an interview with Harrison Ford, and he says, well, he's still he's still kind of a scoundrel. <laughs> he, he's, you know, he's trying to get by, but uh, at the same time, he has, he's a little older, he's a little wiser, he sees that, yeah, you know the force and all this is real in it so i i guess the more you change the more you stay the same <laughs> is what they're going for but i don't know do you think that you know because jj abrams has gone back to uh, you know more practical effects and which i don't know you look he's got a few totally digital characters in there especially andy circuses which we have not seen anything of other than him sitting in a chair with his uh, all the dots and his motion capture suit on we haven't seen the character at all. No, no, no. Uh, so that's that's a big mystery there. So, but he, he's combining the the new and the old. So, do you think we're gonna have more of a return to the the mystery and the mythological themes, the hero's journey with the, these new heroes that are coming? I cannot speculate on that, Robert. All I can say with a modicum of surety is that there will be considerably more lens flare than in than in either of the previous trilogies those lightsaber flashes are gonna blind you huh oh my God. <laughs> uh, if you if you notice they did away with it in every subsequent movie but in episode four when uh, darth vader and obi-wan kenobi there when they're when their lightsabers hit there is like a green flash uh, that fills the whole frame they they cut to a green flash when the lightsabers hit once you see it, you can't unsee it. But it's it's there, and they did away with it in Empire Strikes Back. I, I don't know why. I don't know if it was to hide an effect or because they, they, they needed to work on the lightsabers in that movie. And there was even so much they could do in the special edition. They're still there in the special editions. So I don't know why. But yeah, I, I'm picturing a lights. I'm picturing Kylo Ren and either Finn or Luke. Camera turns and there's a lens flare behind them. It's it's gonna happen. Twin sunset, lens flare. <laughs> it mark my words. Even going back and watching like other J.J. Abrams stuff, like Fringe, like. There's a lens flare when they do like the thing going between the two universes, yeah. just like in Star Trek. So, yes, I, I I agree with your prediction. Lens flare, it's the only thing we can count on. All right, well, I think that does it. Look, looking at the mythology and religion in in the movies and how they were influenced the movies, as well as a few of our usual tangents. <laughs> so let's let's turn briefly to uh, TV corner. We're going to look at the old cartoons of droids and Ewoks. 
I did absolutely no research for this section. Uh, Robert gave me a disc with every episode of both of those series, and I, I put it in to watch a little bit of it with my wife, and we had to stop. They are very 80s. They are very 80s. So, did you ever watch these uh, cartoons when you were a kid, or were they after your time? No, they were on when I was a kid. I don't remember ever watching them, though. I don't know why, because they were on after... Were they were on, were they on right after Jedi or were they on like a couple years later? They were they were they were on I think like from like 1983 to 85. You know what I think it was? That was when He Man was on, and I mean I, they, maybe they weren't on at the same time, but I was definitely more interested in He Man by then. Oh, uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, you could see, like, by 1985, they were phasing out a lot of the Star Wars toys, and we didn't really see a big resurgence until, like, the the early 90s when the the books started coming out, the expanded universe, and then the prequels especially. There was an explosion of <laughs> action figures. But I remember going to stores and finding old droids, like the animated series action figures, and, you know, people selling them for, like, 50 bucks. I'm like... Dude, that isn't even a proper-looking action figure. <laughs> but but I watched them. I watched them, you might say religiously, <laughs> every Saturday morning. There's a very thin religious connection I can make, and that is the witch that plagued the Ewoks. Did you watch any of the Ewoks episodes? No, we watched it. We, we tried watching it droids. Well, with, with the Ewoks, there, there's a witch that is trying to um, get her power back from the Ewoks or something, and always cause them trouble. She's the Witch of Endor. Do you know that the Witch of Endor is in the Bible? What do you think? <laughs> I would say uh, that's not something that you <laughs> you would know because you don't have a degree in religion. That is correct. <laughs> yeah, it's in uh, it's in First Samuel. There's a part where the the king of Israel, uh, the first king of Israel, was Saul. And he kind of went a little crazy, and his favorite uh, prophet died, and that was Samuel. One of the things that Saul had done was to banish all the oracles out of Israel. So he has to journey to this place called Endor and find the witch of Endor, uh, because he all of the prophets that he have are telling him things that he doesn't want to hear. So he's like, well, if I, if I call up Samuel, maybe he'll tell me the things that I want to hear. And so the witch of Endor, she has a seance and brings back the spirit of Samuel. And he says, what the heck are you bothering me for? I'm only going to tell you what everyone else tells you because that's what the Lord says. <laughs> so I'm paraphrasing, of course, but it was kind of funny. It was like a grumpy person being woken up <laughs> when they're trying to sleep. <laughs> it's like, leave me alone. So that is a, uh, that's one of my kind of favorite stories just because it's so odd. Uh, the way it's put in there, and it, it, it's it's un, unlike the, the other stories around it. It's one of those things where you, you read and you scratch your head, and it's like, why did they put that in there? But I, I guess the moral is, you know, don't go messing around with uh, powers you don't understand. <laughs> don't go try looking for a different answer when you want a yes man. Yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls. I got nothing. The droid episodes you watch, did you watch any of the ones with Kaibo Ren? No, I didn't. I, I want to make it clear. We watched part of one. 
Yeah, it's uh, it was done by the same people who did the animation in the Star Wars Holiday Special, which is kind of the the only good part of that, and it's only kind of good. <laughs> Droids was only on for like one season because it was so expensive to draw with all the spaceship designs and everything. Ewoks was a lot cheaper. That went for two seasons. So they had, they had the Star Wars Adventure Hour or something like that. It was called that I watched. Um, it was like the 83-84 season and then 84-85. It was just Ewoks. And they might have rerun the, the droids. I'm not sure. But I always tried to watch them in order and because it was it was episodic, like the, the two droids had different masters before they ended up it it kind of leads up to episode four, where they they meet up with Luke Skywalker at the end. I can't remember. I have to watch them again. But uh, there there's one of the pirates I run into. His name is Kaibo Ren, which is very similar to Kylo Ren, the new villain. On a related note, the character name of Oscar Isaac is Poe Dameron, which is a lot like Cameron Poe from Con Air. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't realize that. There's another thing in uh, the Ewok adventures. Uh, there were these TV movies that were trying to capitalize on the the popularity, uh, or or so they say, of the Ewoks. And there was uh, in the first movie there was a character named Mace who was very whiny and very complaining, much like the young Luke Skywalker. But the exact opposite of Mace Windu. Exactly, he was not cool at all. Um, all right, I think I think we're about ready to wrap this up. But uh, before we go, I I, I want to share uh, while we're on the subject, I want to share a a personal memory about the Ewok movies. In two thousand two, when Attack of the Clones came out, uh, I worked at a newspaper, and for whatever reason, they held the advanced press screening of Attack of the Clones in the daytime when our entertainment people were working. And so they asked if I wanted to go, and after not squeeing, I, I, I said yes. I immediately called Robert, and he's like, uh, can I be your friend? <laughs> and, and I said, yes, yes, you will be in attendance. So we went to uh, the press screening of, of Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. It was the first time I had ever been to the uh, Cinemark at Valley View, which is our preferred venue of, of choice and before the movie started we weren't sure how to get there so we ended up getting there ridiculously early because uh, we, we thought we were going to get lost because we didn't know where we were going but we ended up getting there like super early we felt like huge dorks we are huge dorks fair enough while we were sitting there waiting for the movie to start they had these questionnaires you know, and one of them was what is your favorite star wars movie and we kind of, in unison, looked at each other. <laughs> one of those Ewok TV movies, the one with Wilford Brimley. <laughs> End of story. I forgot about that little part, but yeah, that's funny. I remember that now. <laughs> back in the day uh, on StarWars.com, they, uh, back in the early days of the internet, they had a uh, caption contest for the little pictures, and they had one of Wilford Brimley, and he's like, in, in a chair kind of leaning towards the, the little girl like he's saying something to her and one of the comment that made me fall on my chair and almost pee my pants was uh, that someone had written in and it's like hey little girl could you hand me another Ewok to throw on the fire 
<laughs> that was hilarious. I guess he can eat those with his diabetes. <laughs> yes. Alright, so I think that does it for episode 41 of Checking the Gate from our Legend Podcast. 42. 42. 42. Excuse me. Yeah, tell life, the universe, and everything, I suppose, yeah. So, next time, uh, we're going to still be talking about Star Wars, but we're going to look at, the, like I said, the flip side of it, and how these movies have affected religion, and even since that interview, the last one was 1999, there's a lot of developments that have happened uh, in fandom, in the world of religion, and film and religion analysis that I think has a bigger impact on the world than George Lucas originally intended or realized at the time. So we're going to be looking at that next time. So until then, this is Robert saying keep the faith and Mike saying peace out. <laughs>